This is the Hunt Quietly Podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. Uh, Miles City Game Warden, Todd Anderson, so happy to see you. Thanks for having me. I, I, I would say I'm as happy to see you as I am normally unhappy to see a game warden. <laughs> yeah, we, we get that a lot. Yeah, it's good to see you uh, where we're at right now. <laughs> you know, um, I do I do have some anxiety when I'm in the field and I see a game warden because I'm, I'm real spacey. Yeah. I'm a space cadet, you know. So I could just unwittingly be doing something illegal. Yeah. Like yeah. a few years ago, I was on the river and there's a young warden here in town that uh, approached me and, and my friends as we were launching my boat. And I was engaged in all manner of violation and didn't know it. Like yeah. my boat sticker was expired. I didn't have a noise-making contraption in the boat. Yeah. Those two, I didn't even know that I needed the noise, like a whistle. Right. So that one was just, that was not being aware of the law. But then the other two were just being spacey. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, I didn't even say this. I was short a life jacket. Oh, yeah. yeah. Pretty common. Those yeah. Are, you know, when you, it seems like most of the time, when you have issues of people like you that are spacey, we tend to feel it out. Well, let me ask you this. So how overall, how was the contact? Was it positive? Or was yeah. It like, okay. He had me come in and chit chat with him a little bit in the office. Mm-hmm. And that was about it. Yeah. He didn't, yeah. there was no, there were no fiscal consequences. Right. You know? So there wasn't any, Maybe some warnings or something like that. Yeah, like, a, yeah, I, I suspect. Yeah. I don't even know that there was a written warn, warning. Yeah. More of an educational thing. Yeah. yeah. Truth be told, I'll bet. I mean, I can run stats. We, we, everything we do is pretty well regulated. Or not, I shouldn't say regulated, but it's pretty well documented. Mm-hmm. The number of contacts our game warrants have compared to the number of enforcement actions, which would be like a written warning mm-hmm. or a written citation, is very small. Oh, okay. We contact tons of people that just, they, they have a minor issue like yours or mine. Mm-hmm. And really the best cases to uh, do enforcement. That said, the kicker gets going when the game warrant shows up. We're all, we, oh, yeah. We, we hear that a lot. So, yeah. Yeah. Not a, not a surprise. That, it's like getting called down to the principal's office, man. Yeah. You don't know what's yeah. coming. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand. I the one witting game violation I got in my life was I got written up for not having, I, yeah, this is how stupid I was when I was young. I had, I bought one of the duck stamps, but not the other. Like, oh, like a I bought a state, and not a federal, I think is what it was. Yeah. Cause I was just poor, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, there's a, it's there's a, it's in one of the platonic dialogues, um, like I think it's the one that's called Nemo. I don't know if you've ever read any Plato. I really haven't. I just 
listen to people talk was on forced, YouTube. I was maybe forced reading no. college, but he didn't stick, I can tell you that. There's one where he's talking to this, where Plato is talking to this old man about, and, and the, the old man's talking about money, and he's talking about how it's easier for rich people to, to live a virtuous life because they have all their needs met, you know. Yeah, they're. So, so that's this is evidence. <laughs> I broke the law <laughs> so, due to not having <laughs> lack of resources. Oh, you know, yeah, that's a good story. <laughs> so, uh, tell 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 everybody about your history in fish and game law enforcement. Okay. Well. Goes back a long ways. Um, I was hired on with the South Dakota Game Fish and Parks in 1997. Is where I originally started. I grew up in South Dakota. Where did you go to school? Uh, South Dakota State okay. University in uh, Brookings, and knew I wanted to be a game warden since I was probably 12. I knew for sure. My next door neighbor was a game warden, Mike Schmelzer, and he was. I was so lucky to have a guy like that to mentor me because he lived right next door to me. Uh-huh. So in those days. You know, if there was something neat or fun that he wanted to show me, he'd just come and grab it. When I was a little kid, we went and did it. I mean, I, well, I was doing game warden work, not doing it, but I was witnessing it when I was 12 years old. It was just yeah. fantastic. So it was a goal of mine, and I loved to hunt and fish. Um, since I was a little guy, I was really fortunate. There was a There's a little tension there. Between, yeah. You know, mm-hmm. we, that, like that was the narrative when I was a kid amongst all my hunting and fishing friends. Yeah. Was man, it'd be great to be a game warden, but but yeah. but yeah. So your busy season is hunting. It, season. You know what it was, and, and that was part of it. But um, well, I can just tell you a story, and the story will story about Mike. But he was really good to me, got me on the right track, just kind of really pushed me along. I was not a good student. So was he taking you with him during like enforcement missions, or uh, more? That was later. That okay. was later. So There's a cat young, in the tree kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't, uh, he obviously didn't want to get me in a bad position, you know, and my parents trusted Mike, and so it was generally, well, here's a Miles City story. So when I was a youngster um, in South Dakota, game wardens, they basically met, they, they had a kind of a dual role. They managed their local counties, their local hunting populations. In other words, they did the surveys, they stocked the ponds, and then they also did the law enforcement work. So there's some states that are, you know, kind of more tuned that way. We're a little different here. Mm-hmm. For the most part, we, they were managers. I was a manager and I was a game warden there. Well, it kind of has gone that way a little bit here, right? Where somewhat, it, somewhat. Because of the funding structure? Yes. Yeah, so PR, Pittman Robertson, you know, obviously that's every time you buy a shotgun or a box of shells, that money's allocated towards that. But that's a little bit different, though. In South Dakota... Well, you're saying PR dollars. Now, there's, a, there's more of a requirement... That wardens do non-enforcement stuff yes, because of that, that somehow. But but that in, in Montana, what that has that's been a legislative direction. That's not necessarily a department. Uh, oh, a department direction. In other words, okay. they, they wanted us tracking it more accurately. We were doing a lot of that anyway, but now it's okay. tracked, and we actually have some sideboards on it. You know, in South Dakota, it was just this was part of your every day. So as yeah. an example, in South Dakota, one in the morning, I might be in the airplane counting an antelope survey in that afternoon responding to a, a call from a landlord for trespass. Oh, okay. So generally speaking in Montana, well, it, it is true in Montana, the biologists, are that's their responsibility. Our PR dollars are what we do in Montana essentially is like 
uh, game damage, that's part of it. Um, uh, urban wildlife, like animals that are in town that get caught in the fence, there's all things, those kinds of things, but we don't have any responsibilities here for wildlife management at the ground level. Okay. So in South Dakota we did though. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what Mike did with me. He would take me out, we would, you know, we would short stop deer that were coming into private haystacks in the morning, you know, uh, but back to the Mouth City story. So um, I have a lot of relatives in Montana. I mean, I, it just, it, it was a draw for me from the time I was little. I was probably going to come to Montana at some point. And Did your, your family spent time here? Yeah. Yeah, my dad's side of the family. Um, we have a lot of relatives in Tostin, Raidersburg, that country out there, White Sulphur Springs. Okay. And, you know, we saw him when I think I was probably five years old. He came out to Montana. It was just So basically, half of my dad's, well, more than half of my dad's family, uh, they homesteaded in South Dakota, uh, Danish immigrants, and they ended up good to White Sulphur Springs for logging and sheep. My grandfather stayed on the ranch in South Dakota. Okay. So that's kind of the connection to Montana. But when I was a kid, uh, Mike brought me to Mouth City. And we, I remember this because we did a swap. So as an example, as a game in South Dakota, he was responsible for stocking ponds and assisting the fisheries folks. So at that time, I, I want to say it was largemouth bass for walleye. There was a fish swap. So the hatchery said, hey, we need walleye. South Dakota, or South Dakota said, we need bass. Montana said, we need walleye. Montana so, got the better end of the deal <laughs> on that, man. It's, it's like, that's got to be my least favorite fish is a largemouth bass. So it, it was weird because Mile City to this day raises a ton of largemouth bass. Oh. Because the pond is prairie pond. Yeah, it's, yeah. So yeah. we did a switcheroo, and anyway, we ended up coming to Miles City. And at that time, this is probably late 80s, somewhere in the mid to late 80s, uh, the gentleman that Mike knew at the hatchery was Monty Reeder, who is in, lives in Miles City here. Monty Reeder grew up in Prairie City, South Dakota. It's just amazing how... Yeah, it's all... Yeah. yeah. You know, but anyway, so that, that's a, a Miles City story. But So when Mike would do that, and he would take me around. He kind of showed me the, it was so valuable. It was like that landowner, just that drinking coffee aspect. Right. Oh, the and goodwill you can build correct. by like the little chit chat and, and then hanging think, out and getting to know people. Yeah. And, and the, I would say that experience was so valuable for me in my career to set me up for success. To know that like, okay, you know, here's a guy that's scraping by thing you know it's drought what it, for whatever reason it was but and I and I was always on ranches and farms as a kid I'm not a rancher I'm not a farmer but where I grew up all my friends were my dad's a brand inspector so I had that egg I got that ground level egg yeah I'm I'm I come and similar in that respect I yeah I did we weren't on a farm mm-hmm. when I was growing up but we spent time we had friends that had farms and we spent time hunting on those farms and yeah I got. I actually got a, a degree in agronomy. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't even really help out on the farms. I just yeah. kind of got a little bit curious about it from hunting. Yeah. But my anyway. dad. My dad was the kind of dad that uh, I didn't have a choice. Like in the eighth grade when I graduated, he said, "Let's go pack your bag." And he would just throw me out on a place and I'd have to all, all square bales for. No. Oh. <laughs> so, but wow. good. Hey, good. Good life experience there too. But no. So anyway, that's kind of where I started something. Itchy life experience. Itchy life, yeah. <laughs> so I bounced around South Dakota. I bounced around Montana too. But I bounced around over there, made great friends. I loved the climate. 
had the opportunity to come to Montana and make a move. And so that would have been. But you worked as a game warden there for a while first. Five years. Okay. Yeah, five years. So 97 through 2002. And then I moved to Montana in 2002. And I got to know the eastern Montana game wardens through, obviously, our job. But we had a, a trial or a, a four-state meeting. And I got to know these guys, kind of built some relationships, and, and uh, really liked what, you know, the job's differences were here was more enforcement-oriented at that time, where it was like, you know, they were catching some very serious poachers, really big, bad guys. Mm-hmm. And I thought, that's what I want to do. That's really what I want to do. And so I got lucky enough to get hired in 2002. <clears throat> and what happened was, I believe at the time there was three openings. There was Haver, Superior, and Jordan. And I did well in the process, and I got to, to pick a district. And he said, well, where would you pick your top three of those and I said well I Superior like Superior so basically north of Missoula yeah right? yeah yeah way up in the woods okay yeah I'm a prairie kid uh-huh I, I always have been you know I like that the, said you liked White Sulphur Spring which well, is I did. Sul- I did and, and I like the mountains but I, I, I'm just a Braves prairie guy yeah I always have been and so I said I want Jordan and um, the hiring warden at the time uh, Helena just said I said, yeah, I want Jordan. Uh, said, that's where I want to be. Yeah. So there the career take off. I bounced around. I started in Jordan. I was only there a short time. And then Miles City came open. Uh, there was a job for my wife, so we took Miles City. We were and that City. was? 2002 through 2009. Okay. Yep. So we did that. Uh, Lynn had a job opportunity, and I had an opportunity to go to Lewistown. So we did that. That wasn't a good fit for either of us. And then we ended up going to Glasgow. And this is as in the field work. We loved Glasgow. Oh. Alaska was a really, really good uh, community for our kids. It was, it was really, really nice. But there was some things in life that Lynn needed, <laughs> like bigger city type stuff, oh. <laughs> which I could do. Yeah, so, right. Yeah. So we, we made another move to Billings, and uh, Billings was a really good experience because I got to see a whole other side of the game warden world that I wasn't aware of, like the urban game warden. Oh. Where they just say bad stuff. I mean, just stuff that, that most game wardens probably didn't get hired on to do. Like drugs. What? Oh, really? Absolutely. State parks, drugs. Um, oh. <clears throat> domestics. So it's yeah. if, if at at state parks you have jurisdiction Correct. For, for stuff like that. Correct. But like if it's in the county, I mean it's in a county. The county law enforcement does as well? It, it was all hands on deck. Okay, if it, it was, was in a, actually, if it was in city limits, the city council. Yeah, okay, if it was in city limits, so as an example, the the regional office in Billings is right on Lake Down State Park. Well, it's a big draw for everybody, mm-hmm. including some real shady characters. Mm-hmm. And we had domestic violence, we had drugs, we had assaults, we had. I mean, it wasn't an everyday occurrence, but it happened. Yeah. And so I got to see that. See if and I that I, what that says to me is if you want to do some. If you want to engage in some illegal activity, don't do it at a state park in the city limits. Well, because then you have all branches of law enforcement coming down on you. And on you top, of, yeah, and on top of that, you have game wardens whose windows are next to the fishing pier, and you would witness this crime. Oh, because that's where your office literally, was. Literally right at the at the park. 
So there was data. So I, I got to back up a little bit. I got promoted when I moved to Billings, so I got promoted to a sergeant, so I was a supervisor. Okay. So that was a whole different you know aspect of the job that I had got to do, but I had great wardens in Region 5 in Billings. It was just fantastic. Tight group. Had a lot of fun. Worked hard, but very busy. It was a complete different aspect of the job of non-traditional game warden work. In other words, things that we generally don't deal with in most areas, but most urban areas you just do. Yeah. But if you call for backup in Billings, I mean, you can hear the sirens coming from 10 different directions. So in other words, oh, if you got in a right. bind and you need some help, they were coming. So it was, it was a good thing there. But okay. Yeah. But no, I had, I had a really good time there. <clears throat> and then I always wanted to get back to Miles City. That was my goal. Um, and it worked out where Lynn, uh, my wife, got a job, a really good job. It just happened. Perfect timing. Everything worked. So I, I took the position here. And then I was a sergeant here in Miles City Already four years. And, and wait, so that would have been 2000 and. So that would have been 2000. I gotta think of my dates here. 2011, 12. So that would have been 2017. Okay. okay. So you've only you've only been back since 2017. 2017. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You were so gone from 2009 to 2017. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yep, that's right. And then so when I came back, I, I just took a transfer. It was an open sergeant job. Yeah. And then. Um, I don't think I knew you the. In your I, first spell, did I? I, I knew you. And, well, well I, yeah. I'm no, no. Everybody. In a good thing. Me. I remember. So here's what, here's what I remember. This is, you, you would, so you were a set liner. Am I right? Did you guys have set liners? Yes. Okay. It might have been Steve, too. I can't remember if you and your brother were. Was he here in 2002? Or yeah, 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 yeah. He lived with me for a short while here in town, and we did some set lining. Yeah. For sure. So basically what it was is I just knew you because... To your credit, your set lines were legal and you had your name. And oh. So I knew who, and obviously everybody knew who. You're like, who is this young fellow with legal trot lines? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, no, no. So, yeah. So that was the history there. So then I got promoted to captain and I've been a captain for a year. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I'm on pretty much desk duty, which that's just part of the job. But so, okay. Yeah. So captain means you're more of a. Pencil pusher, then. Yeah, I supervise two sergeants and nine field wardens. Okay. Yeah. So that's where we are today. Yeah. Uh, do you and you and I? I suspect you miss the field work. Oh, of course. Yeah, I really do. And we we do get out. Um, uh huh. We get to hop in with wardens, and it's part of the job just to evaluate and, and go with them. But it's also just you know we get to get out. We gotta get out. Yeah. We gotta know what's going. So, yeah. yeah, I've heard Brad Schmidt, the the Region Seven supervisor, say the same thing that yeah, that, like time on the ground is pretty, it's pretty valuable. paramount. It's valuable and it's also uh, it's a recharge for me. Like when I get to go out and talk to hunters and talk to, to landowners, trappers, whatever. It's just nice to, to have that visit. You know? Yeah, because you can you kind of lose some of that. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's yeah. good. It's good. So, one thing I wanted to ask you about was how how's the how has the hunting picture changed? Let's just say because you've had the most time here, Eastern mm-hmm. Montana. How's the hunting picture changed here over your career? Are you talking generally? Yeah, in terms of access and crowding sure. and, and, and hunter behavior, I yeah, guess. Yeah. 
Well, let's start with like access. I think that's the best thing. Um, we have we actually have a really quality block management program in Region Seven. Yeah, we're the largest in the state. We have a ton I, of good cooperators. It's a really good program here. So that hasn't changed much, other than maybe some ownership. You know, properties coming in, properties dropping out. Um, so yeah, from that that's encouraging to hear. So you don't feel like people that that are being block management cooperators or uh, are increasingly getting incentivized to go other routes in terms. No, no, I don't think so. You know, that's, and that does happen. That's that's freaking awesome. That does happen, though. I mean, you know, you, you well, one one concern for me is block in, in the block management world. If you look at the age of our cooperators, yeah, they've been in the program some of them for twenty five years or longer. Which is when it started, right? Yeah, I mean, from the inception. I, you know, I think maybe Region 7 and Region 6 were, like, on the front end of this uh-huh. years ago where they thought this is a program that could have some success, and it is it's very successful. But I do have some concerns with the age of our cooperators and what happens when the ranch gets sold. It, it, those things happen. We have no control. Right. So the dynamics in this part of the state are not near as drastic as some places with what, what you would call the trophy ranch or, or the, the ranch that is bought purely for recreational purposes, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Amenity, they call, I've heard them called amenity ranches. For, yeah, yeah. It, it, that's an example. We do, that is increasing though. Okay. But I, it's not a, a drastic increase. Okay. Yeah. Man, that, that makes me feel good. So, yeah. uh, here's something I wonder about. It's, is it, is part of the reason that block management is attractive, that ranchers want to do the right thing and maintain like some amount of just doing right by the public and letting them on, or am I am, am I projecting? You're not projecting. You're 100 correct. Really? One oh, thing that's man. One thing that's what's interesting. Though. That, that is so heartwarming. Yeah. It, you it, know, because they could probably make more money. They could. They could. And, and, and there, that's absolutely a lot of the reason that a lot of them get in and stay in. I would say that our longtime cooperators, that's a huge part of it. It's because they have maintained that hunter-landowner relationship. And they think it's important. And they want to provide for the public. They, they, oh, they're man. grateful. Really, they are. And they, they're just the best of world these people are mm-hmm. just good people and so those folks it's so important and we'll talk about this i'm sure but it's so important that those relationships continue right because that that's that's going to be the success or the failure of the program but you know there there's also a lot of branches and it, so what i what you hear from the public is that and you hear this in the world it doesn't matter what it is you have these extremes just on both sides but it's somewhere in the middle and I think I, I'm not going to say I know exactly what it is, but you hear this all the time is that, you know, all oh, these landowners, they, they just want to make money and, you know, and they want it for themselves. They want to, they want to, they just want it for their own hunting, whatever. If you're raising cows in Eastern Montana and you've been on, you've had the ranch passed down from your parents or whatever the situation is, but you're in production agriculture. Yeah. That's how you're making your living. Um, there's lots of options in the hunting world. There's, I don't want to deal with hunters at all, so I'm just posting it, and nobody can hunt it. 
there's there's that. There's definitely that. Yeah. The downside there is this, this country is so productive that you end Correct. up getting eaten out of house and home. Right, probably. right, right. And then you have the landowner who is, I got way too many deer, I got too many elk, I need them all dead. You know, you don't even need to ask. Okay, so those are some extremes, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have all this middle part. This is the jumbled part. This is the part that is, you know, you can come back and hunt when my friends, my relatives are done hunting. Or we lease to a group out of wherever. Or I have an outfitter. Or there's there's everything. But there's this assumption we hear that these ranchers, they just want it to themselves. You know, or not all ranchers, but there's... Like, right, you know right, saying? yeah. There's, there, there's like this feeling that well, all he wants to do is hoard the game, make money off it, and kill the biggest buck in the ranch. The truth is that a lot of these ranchers, they love the wildlife, but they don't have time to hunt. Oh, they, you would be agreed. Yeah. Most of the people I talk to, like if you ask them, have you been hunting? They go, I haven't killed a deer for 20 years. Yeah. Ranchers and farmers are generally not. No, they don't, they don't have time. Yeah. And when they're working a ranch and they're actually in production agriculture, hunting is, and we'll talk about this, but hunting is, is sometimes a huge pain for them. Yeah, right. They're they're busy times, and and a lot of them are in the fall for a rancher, and they just don't want to deal with it. So for whatever they do for hunting, whether it's a lease or it's open up the gates or, you know, it's there's no or block management or block anything. Yeah, but there's not. Don't make an assumption that it's just well, this is just what they want. That's silly, Mm -hmm. and it's just Mm -hmm. not true. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. I I really want to have some. I really want to have some landowners on, some ranchers, farmers on the podcast to get their perspective perspective on things. Aren't yeah. aren't you, you're involved with the Wardens Association? Oh yeah, yeah. That's the Montana a, Wardens Association, yeah. and you guys do yeah. some work projects yep. on ranches. You have one coming up, right? Yep, yep. We do. We have one on the McCray Ranch. Okay. Uh, end of May. Okay. Uh, the McCray Ranch has been a block management for many years. Fantastic cooperator. Family's great. And you don't have to be uh, a warden to be involved in that. Not at all. So, no, yeah, no. I, I'm planning on, I, I'm, I'm around then, so I'm planning on That's great. coming down. Maybe we could re- re- record a podcast with mm-hmm. Mr. McRae. What's his first? Clint. Clint. Yeah. Yeah, if he, yeah. Oh, that'd be, yeah, that'd be super. Do you think you know, he would do it? Clint's a great guy. I bet he'd, I bet he'd be for it. Okay. He's very much a proponent of educating hunters on the Oh well, then yeah. Well, that's it. That's that's one third of what I'm trying to do here is awesome. bring awareness to, to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I know you've caught wind of this, and, and your brother's been at at least one of our meetings. But you know that we have this little group that's meeting in town to talk about access. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what we're settling on doing after several discussions and renditions where we thought we were going to do something and then decided that it wasn't going to work is we're we're settling in on trying to support the block management program Mm -hmm. through work projects yeah that's great and what we're thinking we're going to provide is like an infrastructure for doing it so that we Uh would we would be involved in finding folks that needed the help. Right. And we would also be involved in recruiting mm-hmm. folks to help do the work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get a lot of hunters out here from other parts of the state. State, Bozeman, Missoula, and yeah. 
and I'm thinking that we would would tap into those idea. communities. Yeah. I mean, I think that there people elsewhere in the state really relish coming out here to hunt, and they Absolutely. might relish it enough to actually try to give back some, you know. Oh, no. I mean, I, you know, we hear, well, as an example, you know, we hear about people in our office who said, hey, well, this year you could uh, donate your, your refund, I believe, to Black Management, don't quote me on that. But anyway, there's, there was the ability to legislate. Yeah, to yeah, I did and that. It's been I did very that. popular. Okay. Really popular. That is cool. So that tells you, I mean, if that's popular, those same folks would probably be, be willing to throw in some sweat. Yeah. You know, and that's, it's, it's really, I think that's a great idea. Um, the one thing you always got to be aware of, too, is that, you know, a lot of these folks, these ranchers, it's interesting because you ask, they don't, they don't want to ask. They, they don't want to ask. They're pride, you know, they're proud yep. people. And some, some are like, well, I don't want, I don't want you on my, you know, I, I got my system. You know, I you got your system. Right. So there's, but that said, there's lots of things, the opportunity to help. I mean, pick and rock is pretty you know, yeah. But, yeah, you know, fencing. There, there's all kinds of stuff, but you know, I think that's a great idea. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, how about in terms of in terms of hunter behavior? How have things changed? You know that I would say that has changed, and what I mean by that, it's not drastic, but it's there's been a gradual shifting of expectations of hunters. I would say so. When I first started this job in the mid '90s, it seemed there, there was a more of a connection with the egg in the rural community. Just generally speaking, more kids were like my age, you know, 50 years old, at least knew somebody that was in agriculture or knew somebody that knew somebody that had a farm. So there's some basic understanding of what it took or what those folks were up against. And the more rural we we become, and even as hunters. seems to be an expectation that I should just be able to go. Right. It, it's, it's, it's mine, and I deserve this, I guess you could say. Maybe that's generational, I don't know. Yeah, but, you and know, you're not the first person I've heard say that there's this sense of entitlement. No, I think so. I think there is. And it's and I'm not sure that it's, it's, it's an individual thing. I think it's just collective. But there, there's been, when you remove yourself from the rural communities and what they, you know, when they're busy, so, you know, I'll, I'll speak a little bit. If you're going to go ask permission, like just generally ask permission. When I was a kid growing up, you know, you kind of knew who allowed hunting, who didn't. But you were never afraid to ask, right? Because on the right day, they'd be, ah, sure, my guy's not coming. Go ahead and have at it. Right? Mm-hmm. But That's always been my least favorite activity is asking a landowner. Yeah, <laughs> no. it, it could be, like, be like meeting a game warden. You know, Yo, it's it's every it's, bit as bad, you know I mean? and, and I've never been treated, I've yeah. never been treated harshly or anything yeah. like that. It's just yeah. asking somebody that you barely know or yep. don't know at all yep. to do something exactly. for you, you know. And when you're when you're doing something like that, that is a it's a big ask. I mean, if you think about that, a complete stranger knocking on your door. Yeah, there's probably some liability well, issues. Well, there's liability concerns, but I, I, when I talk to ranchers that I know that I, that I consider friends, they like, nobody asks anymore. 
and I don't know, like nobody knocks on my door. And I don't think it's necessarily, they would say yes every time. Right. They're just kind of surprised. You're like, well, you know, in, you know, 20 years ago, people asked permission. That's so, so interesting. The folks that do, that I know that are, that are consciously asking permission, They're successful finding places to offer. Really? But you know what else they're doing? They're doing what you're talking about. They're they're offering up sweat. They're okay. Like, you know, hey, can I can I exchange some work for you? Yeah. They're not. It's not an expectation that it's wide open. Although there are places that say you don't have to work for me at all. I'd be happy to have you on the place. And there's still places like that. And there's an assumption that it's either leased or it's a block management, whether it's an outfit or a private club, or it's a block management. Like there's no in between, and it's not true. Okay. Yeah. So. The, most folks are out there. Okay. I would say there's less. Sure. Just because of land ownership and, and you know, and, and the economics of things, essentially. But but it's, it's those, those opportunities are they're, still well, they're there. there. So, but there again, so back to the hunter behavior and expectations. So, if you don't have, if you don't have that knowledge of rural, and you don't have to be a cowboy, you don't have to know about seed, but, you know, there are times of the year, like all of us in our jobs, where we tend to be busier so if you don't have any basic knowledge of that, if you show up on a rancher's door, um, like in October, November, to ask they're shipping cattle. They're shipping calves. Yeah. And they're going to be like, I don't have time to deal with this. You know, go away. Or they're going to be, come back, whatever their answer is. That's just not a good time, right? It's not a good time right now. They're calving. I mean, there's, so they're spring and fall. So you, you would you recommend lining it up during? I think, I think. A simple solution to that is have some knowledge, do a little research, find out when, as an example, when is a rancher busiest in, in southeast Montana? You can Google it, and they're going to go, these are the busy times. This is when these folks are. If you showed up on a non-busy time, which generally speaking is going to be middle of winter or middle of summer, it's kind of that sweet spot, but that still doesn't guarantee access. But what it does is it gives you a chance to probably talk to somebody that's just not. Yep. You know, but they, there's, there's always things to do. Yeah. But, you know, it's just little things like that. But if you don't have the knowledge of that, it's that's where it, this hunter behavior is. If you get turned down a couple times, the hunter's going to go, well, I'm going to quit asking permission. I'm just going to go hunt, you know, whatever. Take a shortcut, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff. And it's just not, it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah. In terms of, like, the sweat component, I wouldn't be, I don't know, if you could break it down into... How much do they really value the labor versus how much do they value somebody showing some appreciation? I would say it's nine percent, nine parts appreciation and one part them valuing I mean, the yeah, labor. I think, you know? I think you're right on the money with that. They just feel more comfortable letting somebody on if it's somebody that's... Yeah. And the, and, and the ranches that do allow hunting that, you know, they're not a block management or they're not outfitted, but they have friends and family that how do you think that started? That's a relationship, right? Yeah. And the grandkids are now hunting that place because that hunter from Wisconsin, wherever they're from, the Midwest or in a local town, has developed. They go to their graduations. They go to fe- weddings. That's that's the relationships, right? Yeah. You gotta start that at some point, and people are afraid to start that conversation. And I, I understand why. I mean, it's in today's world, I should be able to click this button and I should be able to do something. And that's just not. No. Yeah. It's just not reality. So the expectations are higher than the realities is the way I look at it. And 
but that leads to behavior issues too because if you get into hunting um, and I, there's a lot of people that are getting into hunting in their later years I would say they call yeah. them adult onset hunters adult onset hunters right I, I hate that phrase but <laughs> I, I go into why but, but I, can, I can verify that is true though because I have folks that call me and they're like well how do I do this and like you know give me some background I'd like to help you out well you know I'm Whatever age, I'm in my 30s, I, um, I really like this idea of providing food for myself. Mm-hmm. It, it's a great thing. It really is. I mean, it is super that people are hunting for the right reasons. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a big change. If, they are, if they're doing it for the meat, then I'm all about it. Oh, I yeah. agree. And you're seeing that same thing with female hunters. I, we check way more female hunters. The, they're yeah. They're really getting into it. And they're doing it for the same reasons. They want good, healthy meat. Right. But how do, you, how do we as an agency... It's hard to saddle that because there's so many of them. We, I mean, we can't help everybody, but there, there needs to be kind of an education out there of how to do it, how the basics of hunting, you know. But you know what? We do. You that. don't think there's a lot of that? No, there's that's happened. There, that's happened. I mean, in terms of how to, yeah, how to hunt, mm, mm. that, yeah, that, that seems that market seems overly saturated. No, no, no you're right. How, how, how to form relationships and get access and all that that's that's under uh, there's correct there's that's you can't find the 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 salient material there correct so you are right so yeah i should have uh, delineated that a little better but it is you're right so the how to hunt is a youtube world now yeah you know if you want to learn how to dress a deer i mean you you can find that yeah how to butcher a deer there, and that is awesome. There's so much of that stuff, but the, the the everyday one-on-one communication stuff, and I see that in a lot of things, just because of the world we live in. It's it's hard. It's difficult. You're saying the hunter landowner one-on-one. The one-on-one where yeah. you're going to go make a relationship, um, and you're going to say, you know, you're going to go there at the right time. You're not going to show up at bad times. You're going to do your research, and you're just going to start knocking on doors. And if don't ever. Don't be afraid to go to a place that you've been told he doesn't let anybody hunt. If you're per, if you're polite and just a very approachable person, yeah, maybe you get the door slammed, but you're not generally you're not gonna. There's gonna be a conversation, right? And that conversation could be as simple as um, no, or it could be well, this is what I do for hunting, and um, how do you how do you answer that? And say well, I appreciate you just letting me visit with you. Um, could I possibly shoot some does? You know, right. Just that, just that, that's how you got to get into that. Yeah. You know? And everybody, it's fun. And there again, the, the, some of the thoughts are, well, the landlord just want to kill the biggest bucket of bull. It's like, no, they don't. They don't they, even they don't, want. I mean, most they can have the biggest bucket bull walk through their yard. And they, it many of them do. Yeah. And they don't blink an eye because they got work to do. Right. <laughs> and so anyway, it's this, it's just the basics one-on-one. So what the behavior has become, I think it's, I think it's become, I, I don't even know if I would say worse. It's just a different world. La- like yeah. lack of lack Basic. of appreciation, lack of understanding of the people that they're yeah. interacting yeah. with. And we're so and this, I mean, we're only talking about this. Only pertains to private lands. What we're talking private about, land. but that's yeah. that's a huge part of no. hunting in Montana. Is yeah, yeah. And some folks are in block management. There's some that are... See, with the block management thing, I think that that it's not just because a place is in, is in block management doesn't mean that those same considerations don't apply. 
they apply even more. Yeah. When I mm-hmm. hunt block management, I still go up and bang on the door, maybe bring the guy. Yes. You know, some yes. jerky or something. Yeah. Yes. It's almost more important. And it happens a lot. I mean, those gifts and those relationships, even a block management. The folks that are in block management, they build relationships with hunters that have come for years and years and years. Yeah. And the beauty of it is that 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 group that has the better relationship, maybe they get signed up. You know, they get signed up right away. You know, there's all these little things that happen, but someone's going to come right in behind it and has a chance to build the same relationship. Right? Yeah. So the nice thing about black block management is there it's that's that conduit is there. Like, you know, who to call. Like we provide right. that. It's just right. Right. There. Yeah. Right. And then but, but system, do you think that FWP could do better at, oh, yeah, at saying, do. listen, yeah. this is provided for you, yeah. but don't take advantage of it. Right. You know, still go say thanks. Go, you know Well, I, we do that. I don't know how we would do it better. I, I we can always Right. Yeah. Every any any human endeavor, you can say that. I think that's one of those things that we could probably. I mean, we try. We we have a really good education program in the department. In other words, our information education. If you look at a lot of other states and agencies, we do a good job of pumping that information out. I mean, all you got to do is go to a website, or you know, you can get how to sign in. Um, Our block management folks. I would say our block management folks that run the program. And the gals that sign people up are probably some of the most important employees we have. I mean, mm-hmm. they. I mean, there's a lot of people that don't know who the game warden is, but they know who B is. Sure, they know who B is in Miles City. Yeah. So you know what I'm saying? It's such a huge thing. But I a few years ago, two years ago, I'm driving to work, and there's a. I, I have a. I'm the least observant person I know. Like, I could drive by a business every day for five years. And then all of a sudden have reason to go in, to go to that business mm-hmm. and still have to look up where it is. Yeah. yeah. But I'm driving on the road on the way to work and they're, but, oh, so I love to look for stuff on the side of the road or that's in uh, the road. Yeah. It's just a, yeah. a fascination of mine. Somebody when I, when I see a box that's like not disturbed <laughs> at all, it's like a pristine box, you know? <laughs> So I was driving to work and there's this box right on the center line. I was like, that box is not empty. It has something in it. And I pick it up and it's a box addressed to B. Oh, really? oh that's, funny. that's funny. So I brought it into her. Be, she's on her game. She would have known. <laughs> she would have got it. I think it must have fallen off a UPS truck. Oh, that's funny. No. But yeah, so it's such an important program. And there's so many very, it's, it's up to the landowner, to be honest, you know, how they want it operated, whether they want us to sign in, you know, do it. Yeah. Yeah. Or Or they sign or they just want a box. They want people to access it. Um, they're they're, It's really flexible that way. I think that's why it works so well for us. Yeah. Cause it's, it's but despite the fact that you're saying that acreages are holding steady or well, I shouldn't say holding steady. I mean, they, they go up and down. That fluctuates. But, yeah, and we always want more, but we haven't we haven't had like a big crash in acreage numbers, right? You know, and they. And I just, I mean, part of what I'm trying to accomplish with this podcast is getting people to engage more, mm-hmm. and I just wish that there could be a bit of a cultural shift, mm-hmm. where even when it's through a government program that's letting getting you onto these 
private lands. Mm-hmm. Do you 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 uh, work hard on showing appreciation? Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, I can I can verify this as a game warden. There's no question that hunter behavior drives access. Yeah. I mean, it really does. It's you know, got it, to. It does. It absolutely does. You, you hear of you hear of I've heard several stories in the last few years about outfitters getting p- kicked off of places. Yes. Yes. Because basically it's no different than us like you know if someone came out here back in your back pasture here and started chasing your llamas around you know or right. stupidly yeah you know, what are you gonna do you're gonna, you're just gonna go let them yeah <laughs> and probably go hey let's not do that right well when you have the ability to close a gate that's the simplest that is the, the simplest thing to get it out of your hair it's just say no one's coming right yep so in, in that old adage, it just takes one. Is it is absolutely true, but there, there's also this misconception that it's just rampant, and it's it's not. Okay. So, but God, man, you're you're lowering my cortisol. <laughs> it's but there again, what it is a lot because these are is. things that I worry about a lot. But a what lot. it is, it's because I hear about places coming out of block management because of people yeah. doing something stupid. Well, no, it happens. It happens. It, it's not like it. It's not catastrophic, but it, it is the reason. People get out. Generally, it's not money. If you get into block management, you're not looking to make payday on that stuff. You're, you're not. There, there's there's a couple different reasons. It, it's a nice compensation, and it's for the hunter impacts. It's it's not getting you're not getting it for the deer. It's the impact of having hunters on your property. Mm-hmm. That's the payment, right? And and you you enjoy letting the public on your property to harvest the deer. They they enjoy it. Yep. And then there's the folks that have way too many animals, and they need it so they can get. It's a population, tool. right? It's a management tool yeah. for the landowner, right? So I've heard. I, I do. You, uh, what's this guy? What's this guy's name? Um, a rancher out by Forsyth was telling me that he went from an outfitter to block management because mm-hmm. they weren't shooting enough. Oh no, that deer. happens. Yeah, that yeah, that happens for sure. But on on that same token, the reason we lose block management most of the time. Is, is just an incident. It's like one One thing. little... It, it, yeah, it's one thing. And if I was to tell you it was because everybody was doing this, I'd be lying to you. Uh-huh. I, I, I mean, I can tell you, generally speaking, um, leaving human waste anywhere near a private property is like numero uno. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, things that we all... Well, it just... I mean, what... How? Like, you... It, there's a reason that there's a saying, like, you shit on... Me, correct. I mean, it's like, correct. <laughs> Absolutely. You can't. It can't be much more disrespectful. No, no, not at all. And, and you know, and that's that's obviously. A, if you talk to a game warden in Montana, and you ask them from just as a person, when we drive by a box, a signed box, and see toilet paper, we just our blood pressure goes up. Mm-hmm. Like, and you know what? And there's game. Not this. This isn't just game wardens. This is biologists, department employees. We clean that up. Oh. And the reason we do that is we know the consequences if we don't. Hunters need to be cleaning it up, too. Oh, well, yeah. I'm sure some of them do. They do. Some I like to think I would. No, no, they do. We've seen them do it. Uh-huh. So, what about what about poaching behavior? How's, how's that changed? That has if, definitely changed. Um, there's always been poaching. There always will be poaching. Game wardens are never going to crack that egg. We're never 
us. Well, there's not enough of you. Well, there's not enough of us. It just from a from a standpoint of human behavior, it, we're just not. You know, we just it's by virtue of it's just, it's part and parcel of where the, the what you're trying where you're trying to do your enforcement. We're talking about staggering, yeah, yeah. large areas. And our witnesses are four legged animals that. I can't go ask right. what happened, right? Right. So, no, I think what, what we have seen over time is, and I won't blame it on social media, but I just got to be honest, There, there is a faction of the social media grip and grin trophy crowd mm-hmm. that has got competitive in what it has drive competition to be better and bigger, and that's in everything in life, but that's bled over into hunting, in, in that trophy mentality. Um, I got to get, I got to get the likes, got to get the clicks for the end. Yeah. And that has driven poaching. There's no question that. That's, so, that's always been a suspicion of mine. No, it, that's, that's valid. I is, think. is like, there's the trophy law. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, I'm reluctant to go negative on trying to get the big in because I try to get the big in a little bit myself, you know? Well, I mean, can I get all, I don't know who told me this. It was an old lady in Oregon. He said, yep. I'm a trophy hunter right up until I'm not. Which right. is generally the, the first one that comes by. <laughs> if it happens to be the big one, I'm lucky. If not, oh well. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the, but on the flip side of that, now it's like, I got to get this or, or nothing. Right. You know? it, yeah, I'm, I have a lot of cons- I I'm pretty much, I'd say, it'd be hard to convince me that both hunting TV and hunting social media it hard to be hard to convince me they don't drive like trophy lust. Well, the, and they, then what? And yeah. you know, and is that in that lust? Then I could, I suspect, and you're mm-hmm. confirming that it manifests itself in illicit activity. Mm-hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. it's just oh, yeah. I want to have the big one like the guy I saw on Facebook or yep. on the sportman sportsman's channel. You yeah, know? no, no, it's that, it's absolutely the truth. I mean, there's no doubt. When we talk, when we talk to folks that we do end up, you know, citing or arresting for serious, you know, I'm not talking a minor violation where it's a, you know, it's an honest mistake or it's a misreading of the regulations, but where it's just a, it's an act that they plan and is well thought out. Generally speaking, it's for two reasons. Well, it's many. Well, and be careful with this because we just we don't know always the reasons. But mm-hmm. generally speaking, it's to kill an animal, to be in the picture and to show your friends. And to, you know what I'm saying, or to, to sell the app, whatever. But it's, it's either monetary or society, you know, bringing yourself up. Yeah. You know, in that within that group. Yeah. So in the old days, when we didn't have that instant click, or we, we had that, we still had poaching, but and it was kind of driven by the same thing. You know, within their circles, it was I got the big one, right? Mm-hmm. But that circle was ten guys. Right. And now it's. It's the masses. It's the masses. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. That's what, what's one thing that bothers me about hunting culture is that so many people that are, so, so many of the people that are like the big names in hunting that really, they're like the face of hunting. Mm-hmm. They present themselves as like they're, they're stewards for our pastime. They're the one, like that they're, they're modeling proper behavior and, and they're doing the right thing and they're, and 
that they're a pot have a positive influence on hunting, mm-hmm. and I just am not willing to give them that. Well, because to me, to me, yeah. like they they jack up the value of of wildlife so much mm-hmm. that people will go to great lengths yeah. to harvest something, whether yeah. it be paying outfitters that lease up land mm-hmm. or leasing up land themselves or poaching. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I I just feel, I yeah I feel like there'd be less poaching, more access. Um, if it wasn't for hunting heroes on social media and TV. Yeah, that could be, you know, on the flip side of that too, is there are more and more programs that I see. And I don't watch a lot of it because I, I, I just don't like to watch it. I, a lot of that stuff doesn't. You mean hunting TV? Yeah, I just don't watch it. Um, see, I like watching it, but I won't let myself because it's. I think it's bad. I think it's bad for hunting. There, there's so like when I'm in a motel room, I don't have TV at my house, but when I'm in a motel room, yeah. Uh, so I for years I did, but now I'm just like no. <laughs> I man, but that's one thing that I'm with my with my podcast and this. I guess I'm. You'd say I'm trying to start a little bit of movement of a movement to yeah. get hunters to look out for their own best interests. Sure. And that is an agenda item is don't watch that stuff because yeah. I don't think it's yeah. good for you. Well, I don't think it's good for your hunting I to watch that stuff. I will agree with you on, I don't think it's good for a new hunter that doesn't have a good mentor. I, I think that is a problem. Like if you jump into hunting for the wrong reasons. In other words, um, my dad loved to hunt, but he worked his tail off. So, you know, we had friends and family that took this. Worked his tail off hunting or worked his tail work, off? Work, oh, I see. Work, work, I got gotcha. you. What did he what did he do? He's a brand inspector, but at okay. the time, my dad, he never did not have two, three jobs. He just worked and worked and okay. worked. Okay. He was a he hustler. Always, he was a hustler, but he always took us fishing. I mean, he always made time for that. He always made time to take us hunting. But it was never about a trophy. It was never mm-hmm. that. So I had, and then with being, you know, working with a game warden um, at a young age and him taking me hunting, it was never about a trophy. He was, yeah. trying, he was trying to get the big one, but that wasn't success. But if you have a brand new hunter that's just getting into it and they are told this, see that guy right there? That's what you need to get. You need to be just like that guy. That guy. That, that what's there. being modeled to them is so perverse. That, yeah. That, that is dangerous. Yeah. And that's going to lead a person down the wrong road. So the mentoring aspect of it, and I think we can all do better at that, is to take that person out and, and show them some of the best, you know this, I mean, how many days have you not killed anything? Oh, I mean, it's, it's absolutely. Yeah. It's I mean, like, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to bullshit you and tell you I'm not out there to get. Oh, no, no. Every day. Have, every yeah. day. Yeah. And I still enjoy hunting. I love taking my kids hunting. I am all for it. And every time I go out, my goal is to put something in the trunk. <laughs> now, <laughs> there again, but that said, gosh, there are days where. You can have a wonderful day. You, know, and, you, yeah. you miss something. Yeah. You miss a, an easy shot. And I don't rifle hunt much anymore. I'm a bow hunter. I love bow hunting. But there's days I've missed or I've screwed up and the tree stand like, oh, that was, you know, it's just a learning. But anyway, back to the basis of hunting. You're right. I think most people that have a good background, are, they can still watch those shows and not take the bait and go, oh, that's what it's about? I guess I need to switch the way I've been hunting. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just not that. It, and there's so many innuendos in this story because there's so much pressure society the social aspects of it but 
you know, there's days and we've had conversations with wardens that we wish everybody could only hunt a muzzleloader and drive a two-wheel drive pickup. Okay. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. the joke. It's like, if everybody had to do that, we'd be pretty bored. Uh-huh. Game wardens, we'd be like, you know, and you have long-range shooting now, and you have technology that's constantly changing. Yeah. So it's... So that's what, like, the hunting social media and hunting TV are purveyors of that stuff, mm-hmm. for sure. Well, and it's, and it's our product. And it's, so that's business and that's clearly what that is. But it's interesting in Montana though, what you see is you see the hunters and all, everybody, outfitters, it doesn't matter. They're, they pump the brakes on technology. We're pretty good at that in Montana. That's cool. And it really is. You you see people going, I don't think this is the right thing. Right. Yeah. Really? Do we have to really do it this way just because it's available? If like you if you runners. if you if you carry it out to like its absurd conclusion, yeah, it turns into at some point that you you're sitting in your armchair and you push yeah. a button next yeah. to you and make a deer be dead. Yeah. So like, yeah. you know, you know, got There's got to be some point at which it becomes ridiculous. Right. Right. And yeah. I think we're there. You well, know, I think we are there. I mean, if you you know, you, I watched a show one time. This was years ago. This was this was a new, but it was in Texas, and the guy had a, he had a recording of a feeder turning. He didn't even have a feeder there. <laughs> and, and that was that was the day I was like, yeah, click, you know. It's like this Pavlovian. Yeah, yeah it's like, you know, it was just, it was the weirdest thing. But, you know, those are. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. he's just sitting outside in a place that there had been a feeder. Oh, sure. Okay. In, in, in wherever he was hiding. I don't know where it was. It was somewhere. It was Texas, I remember. Yeah. He It was a sound of a feeder spinning, kicking out corn, and the deer came to it. And yeah, you're right, Pam. The dog is like, want a snack? <laughs> Boom! Well. Anyway, to the extreme, you know, in Montana, when we said it's no, mm-hmm. no, in in you know, we, we uh, the whole baiting thing, we've avoided that. You know, we've avoided a lot of things that are allowed in other states, and it's not because the game board said it was right. It's because right. the public says it's not. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's refreshing. That's cool. Yeah. So, like, what? So much of what's on. We don't. I talk too much about hunting TV and hunting social media, and there's, but uh, one. So we should move on. But one thing is, the type of hunting that's that new hunters are seeing there is is a type of hunting that I don't have any respect for most of the time. It's private land, pay hunting. You know, they're hunting animals that. You or I don't, couldn't, we don't have access to that, you know. Mm-hmm. They they bought access to that animal. And a worry of mine is it just perpetuates that kind of hunting. Somebody starts watching that, maybe on YouTube or hunting TV, and they're like, oh, I'm, I'm that looks cool, I'm going to get into that. So they go out and maybe they do a little public land hunting, and they're like, yeah. oh, this is freaking top. Yeah. And then they do a little more research, and the next thing you know, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. this is how you get it done. You, know, you lease up some land, you know. I that's the one thing that you know we because as game wardens we are referees a lot of times we're just throwing a yellow flag and we hear it from both sides and you, you remain neutral I'll remain neutral tonight for the most part mm-hmm. my own thoughts but you know I have seen what I have seen is an increase in leasing and more than outfitting yeah so to the outfitters benefit or to the outfitters argument um, there's a finite number of in Montana, that that's a number that's capped. They, oh, it is. Yeah, it's capped. There's only so many licenses. 
So, okay. But but they could grow their business. They, right? Well, absolutely, they can grow their business. They you know they've got to go through the process. They can do that for sure. But what we don't have a good a good knowledge of is leasing, and, and that is increasing. Okay. And and there's a lot of reasons for that. But you're seeing these clubs that are doing that, and that's you know it, it, I can't blame a landowner for doing that. I really can't. I mean, if you're you're trying to make a I don't blame landowners for any of it. Right. I don't blame I don't blame guides for it. No. I I keep it squarely in the hunting community. I think you're on I, So yeah. let me sketch this out a little bit for the eighth time on this podcast probably. <laughs> but I can't think of anything more brutal that hunters do to other hunters than buying other hunters out. Sure. Like people that come to Eastern Montana that don't even live here, yeah, yeah, and buy up a, like lease out land right. Right. or hire an outfit of its leased up land, yeah, it's it just like seems like the hunting community should just should be just that a community, yeah. and to me, yeah. that is well, I think deeply selfish. That's what you're trying to do here, though, right? Yeah. Essentially, with your podcast, kind of what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. So, one yeah. agenda item for me is is don't pay for hunting access. Sure. Sure. So, yeah. But I mean, I I don't I don't pretend to have all the answers, and I I'm trying to keep an open mind and be, and I might change my mind on some things, but that that's where I come down on it for now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the poaching, you know, back to the poaching a little bit. Um, I there's maybe there's more poaching generally. 30, 40 years ago, poaching was a different thing. It clearly was. I mean, we hear about, so here's an example. So every Like the motivations were different? The motivations. So in, in yeah. The, in the reasons they so, t- so yeah. here's an example. So every game warden that's ever lived in Montana, in most every state, I guarantee you, has had someone come up and say, I don't know why you write that guy ticket. He's just feeding his kids. Okay. Now, let me be frank. That's BS in this day. If, 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 if you're going out to shoot here, if, if inflation keeps going the way it is, maybe not. <laughs> but you know I mean? No, I'm just kidding. No, but, yeah. but in, in, when, it, when it turns out, it's like the neighbor's big deer, and then it's that neighbor's big deer. But no, it's it's not happening. They're not feeding families with the wild game they're poaching. Okay. I can tell you this. If that is truly the case, the game board's going to be delivering all the deer they need. Right. You know what I mean? Right, if, right. If, they, if they call their office and said, hey, I'm down on my luck. Um, if you seize a deer, could I, could I have it? Mm-hmm. There's game words that butcher them in their home off duty to get to. We we've done. I've done it. Poached, every, poached absolutely. animals. Yeah. yeah. Not to mention all the rich people that come to Eastern Montana, hunt on leased, and then fly the head home and leave the meat. There's behind. all that stuff. So when you talk about, you know, well, you know, old Fred needs it to feed the kids. No, he doesn't. Now, 30, 40 years ago, I think that's probably correct. I think there was. Oh, okay. There was so some, that was an element of poaching yeah, back in the day. In the past, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yeah. Now I'm getting it. No, no, by the word poaching, I mean the unlawful taking of wildlife, generally speaking, there was an aspect of people that needed it to survive. Yeah. Right? And, and, but those days, in today's society, with the availability to make a call or to you know go to the food, there's lots of reasons to avoid getting a ticket from a game warden for feeding your family. I know I know one guy in this town, and I'm sure his model, the, the, his approach for getting meat is just to keep an ear to the ground. Mm-hmm. He's a, he works, you probably know him, Scott Rapson. Sure. 
Yeah, so he's a yeah. he he's a counselor at the high school. Yeah. He just, yeah. just keeps an ear to the ground, yeah. like and he gets he gets game, sure. but he also gets a lot of oh we, we gotta get rid of some of these goats or yeah. we got these. <laughs> so he's always got sheep. Like smart, mutton, goat, yeah. <laughs> you know, but great no, pigs. Game. He's got a lot of pigs from people. That's the that's that show the availability to get help. In other words, to help a, a person that's down on their luck. Plenty of avenues to do that. Yeah, you don't need to be going out at night. You, you wouldn't have to living in Miles City. You would you could have all the you'd not have to pay for meat and you could eat meat daily. Yeah, you bet. And not hunt. No, exactly, and. If you wanted to hunt on most years with doe tags, you could fill the freezer. Oh, yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So, yeah. Yeah. So that kind of poaching. What what we see now is when people poach, and by poach, you got to be a little bit careful what, you know, poaching is is a, very much a derogatory term, really, in the world. Well, shouldn't hunt, it be? It should be. No, no. I mean, in the same way that, like, rape or murder is. It, it is with hunt in the, within the hunting world. You're true. It, it, it needs to be a bad term. Yeah. But... A game board, we tend to categorize it as your, well, we one percenters. Our, our investigators, you know, they've had some training. We actually, they came up with this profile of a person that is the one percenter of the, of the people that are just hardcore poachers. In other words, it's it's a it's a problem. It's a mental issue. They have to poach. They have to shoot that deer. They have to shoot the yeah. It's this is legit. This is so in the same way that there's a there. The criminal justice system has developed profiles of serial Absolutely. killers. There's Abs- the there's Absolutely. a pro okay. Yes. So yeah, lay that out for me. So them. so you know we have investigators that have, have dealt with enough hardcore poaching. In other words, people that we we tend to arrest every year and they'll never stop. You revoke them. You they go to jail. They cannot stop. They actually sleep with trophies with their heads. Damn. It's a psychological. Thing. It really is, and it's a. I, I'm not sure we really tapped into the reasons we tried to, but it's happening. We know that, that is. This is fascinating. It's a, so is this the same all over the country? This every every, every place has it because it's it's an addiction. It, it's it's a. It's truly an addiction. Is what it is, and it's. Is it because they don't get enough big animals by legal means? Like if they, no, it's no, it, they would no. do it. Matter of fact, most of the one percenters. Don't put it on. You'll never see their trophies on a photo. They will oh, know. Wow. The only people that know about it are them. Wow. Yeah. This is a deep dive. This is another. Story. No, let's no. This is. And I'm not I, an expert on this, but this is legit. This is this is a thing. And if you think about it, it's 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 not a stretch to, for it to happen because the, someone, has there ever been an article written on these folks? Like yeah, if there may have been. This has been a, you know these are internal discussions. But this is this yeah. is legit. This is a legit thing. It's so a, that side of poaching. It, someday it'll be like in the what's it, the psychological oh, I think that's manual happened. of of. Uh, this has been looked at by a psychologist, legit psychologist. We have an investigator that's really taken this on. This is legit stuff. And okay. He's had a doctor assist him with this cert with this project, and it's we went back and interviewed these folks, and, and it's 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 a thing. If you think about it, it's no different than someone. I hate to put it in this category, a serial killer. It's the same thing. Yeah, well, it's, it's a, right. It's, it's a, just it's, it's a, just something that you. It, it's, it's a hard, mental syndrome that it's hard to wrap your mind around. It, but it is it's absolutely legit. Now that said, they are 
pretty rare. Sure. It's pretty rare. So a few years, two, three years ago, there was uh, several elk that were killed in central Montana. I want to say it was early summer, and they were finding decapitated elk. Yeah, yeah. And they caught the person. Right, right. Was it? No, somebody's run on, you know, like trying to remember. Right, right. I've got a really good feel for our local cases. Okay. you know, so there's community cases. members that fit the profile here? Yes, yes. So Damn. there's a profile that our investigators have said, okay, this person is potentially this. But what's interesting is on these 1% cases, they, there's also an aspect of it, of getting one over on the game warden. It's the thrill of the chase. Okay. It's, it's the... Like the sense of getting yes. uh, getting away with it. Well, and if you look at serial killers, and, and, and you know, it's, I like watching those shows just to get that. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, a lot of times the serial killer they'll, ends they'll up. The cop on. Yeah, say, you miss me. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you know, taunting. They end the up folks, taunting the exactly. law enforcement. The folks that the one percenter of the population is no different than any other segment. But if they want to get away with it, if you think about what we do as game wardens, who's the witness in that? Mm-hmm. It's it's the deer that's yeah. It's, a, it's surprising that these guys are getting caught. Well, we're just that good. <laughs> yeah, no, I guess so. No, 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 no. It, it, it's it's a it's usually a lot of factors that get them. Over time, you know, it's going to be one thing. A landowner's going to be off feed and go, "What is that?" Mm-hmm. And catch a brake light or just something. Okay. Like that. So, but well, anyway, there was a guy that yeah, there, there was a guy that got fined. I, I'm sure you know about this. Five within five miles of where we're sitting got. Find thirty thousand dollars for killing a sheep. Yeah, in the yeah, well, I don't know, 10, 12 years ago, or yeah, was it more I was, than that? I was involved in that case. Oh, were you yeah. really? Yeah. Is is he one of those? Uh, no. Okay. No, no. I think that was an opportunity deal. I mean, you just most saw the thing. Most, and yeah, most of you that. It's pretty impulsive. Like it's, it's like, man, I gotta have that. Yeah, and it's like the it's like the check the mirror poacher where rear view looking looking around, do that three sixty scan. I can get home with it, bam. You know, that, mm-hmm. that's that's the issue there. But that also, generally speaking, if you get away with it once, it tends to continue. <laughs> okay. You know, so if they're successful. So, and, and those are, and we deal with those kind of poachers too. But by and far, I mean, it's not even close. Most of the people we contact are awesome. Uh-huh. And it's just great listening to hunting stories. We, we love it. We just love, we're all passionate about it. We all love to hunt and fish and trap. I do all those things. Yeah, that's why I am a game warden. I, I, I guess everything. I'm a, I'm a pretty institutionalized man when it comes to hunting. Mm-hmm. Like, if I did something outside the law, mm-hmm. I I would rather just I'd rather shoot a doe inside the law mm-hmm. than some big creature, big trophy that I get mm-hmm. outside the law. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't see how you get yeah. where's the satisfaction if you broke all the rules to do it. It almost generally comes back to ego. In some in, in some spectrum it's something about the ego. Yeah, I, and, that, and that's part of what I'm saying here, I guess, is it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't gratify my ego to do it outside right. the law. Right. It's also the, it's also the case that for me it wouldn't gratify my ego to get it. Um. 
in a circumstance that nobody else could get it in. Like, yeah. To, to, yeah. to get it by... Shortcut. Well, by buying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And that's... I don't want... When I get a... If I get a decent deer or an elk, I don't want it to be because I was willing to spend more money than my competitors. Right, right. That doesn't... Well... That doesn't do it for me. And for the hunter... For most hunters, the gratification is... Abs- most, absolutely. Most hunters don't want it just simple and easy. No. I mean, I, there comes a time probably. The people that are most passionate about hunting, I would agree with you. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm talking about the people that are just... That are real hunters. Yeah, that are just... And, and most and There's a lot that are this way, to be honest. There's a lot that... You know, I see them... They, when I was in the field a lot, they, I'd watch. You know, of course, we watch. We're behind the binoculars all day. And it, it wasn't this case every time. But if I watch somebody get about three miles from the truck, you know, with a, with a pack on, mm-hmm. I pretty much was like, I think I'm okay to go find somebody else. To right. So. Right. Because you're already dealing with somebody I, that. I'm already yeah. resetting my mind going, okay, if that guy's three miles from the truck and it's in the Missouri River breaks, it's like, uh, I need to move on. Like, I'm yeah. It's, here, right. Because. Not to say that that person's not going to do something. But generally speaking, that person is a dedicated hunter who has made up his mind. He's willing to rip his guts out for an opportunity at an animal, not a guarantee. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's it's absolutely so true. that's the difference of the guy that's rolling down the road, you know, a half hour after he's done hunting, and a, that big buck, rutting deer, runs in front of the headlights, and he's doing the three sixty, and he's eating Chester fried chicken and he, the whole yeah, time. And he says, I, "He says I don't want to walk another step this hunting season." Yo. That's not a one percenter. That's a guy that took an opportunity that was in front of him. But let me throw this at you. On the flip side of that, I'll bet I can't speak to exact. Well, I probably could. I could probably run some stats now that I have that available. It's pretty cool. We, we keep track of this stuff now. But self turnings. In what other aspect of society does someone that breaks the law turn themselves in? Can you give? Does a drunk get home and call the highway patrolman and say, "Man"? I, I made it home. I, you need to come test me. I'm pretty sure I'm drunk. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. No, I don't. But how many people do you think are game wardens deal with on a yearly basis? That's, that make a mistake? In other words, they kill a buck on a doe tag. Right. And they call the game warden. Nobody, well, I'll tell you, I've done it. Sure, sure you have. Yeah. But if you think about that, in what other passionate sport or activity do people do that? They don't. They don't. So what does that tell you? I mean, th- this is the thing that upsets me and, and really pisses me off, generally speaking, is when the anti-hunting crowd peg holes everybody into it. They're just killers that are out to kill animals. It, it, you know, we still hear that, but it, it just hurts Well, me. I mean, yeah, and, and I, I mean, I'm closer to being an anti-hunter than I am to being... <laughs> you hear that? You swap because... Well, here's... Hey, man, then... then if, if I had to choose between being an anti-hunter and being a grip and grinner on social media, I, gotcha. I yeah. would I would way, way rather just yeah. be an anti-hunter. Right. But um, the anti-hunting crowd, that's what they see. Yes. Is the people that are shooting 10, 12 animals they a year. They don't see the guy that turns himself in they, for, for making an honest mistake. And you know why they do it? The guilt. It's the guilt. It, it's, it's If I get home with this... 
We've, I've actually had people admit that I, I almost had it home and I couldn't do it. I had to call you. Mm. And, just, and they'll even tell you what their thought process is. And it's just, to me, it's just awesome. That, that is, it's such a that's, good yeah, thing. Those are people, good yes. people with their heart in the right place. So what, mm-hmm. so what you, what do you dip typically do in a skit where so, it's like somebody's showing heartfelt remorse and yes. it's obvious they've made, they shot right. a freaking deer right. with an inch and a half yeah. long. Yeah. So, <laughs> or not, what do they got to be legal well, for? Inches, four yeah. inches. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, there's nothing that we do set in stone. We, you know, our, we, it, it's case by case. Yeah. And me as a captain and, and the sergeant's. And, and the field wardens, we've all, we under, we're hunters. That's why it's important. We know these things happen. They've happened to game wardens. I'm sure. <laughs> Absolutely, it's, yeah. it's happened. So generally speaking, if someone comes in and we want to get, the first thing we got to do is get the story, right? We, we need to know, okay, how did it happen, right? So as an example, already this, this year during turkey season, we've had self-turn-ins with folks that have shot hens. And, uh. and usually what it is, the, the gobbler has it split off from the, you know, from the hens or a hen will follow a gobbler that's fanning. They'll shoot the bird and there's a bird laying inside. Yeah. So that's an example. Or they freaking look like a gobbler. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, some of those old hens or look like a gobbler. they're bearded and they gobble right. and fan. I had a case like that. I yeah. When that. they do that, how do you know they're a hen? Well, you, you say, have a good day. <laughs> nice bird. Because I can't write that person. No, but I'm saying even after you kill it, how do you know it's a hen? Well, how do you know it's a bearded so, hen? So I, I can sex a hen. You know, oh. if, you, if I had to do it, go to Colchia, I could. Oh, okay. But I don't have to. I can look at it and go, that's a hen. Just based, based on its head. Feather. Well, not even a head, they're feathers. So okay. On a tur- wild turkey, a male turkey, they're solid black. On a female, they get a, a leading edge that's tan or buff. Okay. You know, on, on the breast feathers and stuff. So well, really you're black. talking to a man that's probably killed 30 turkeys, <laughs> and I still don't know this. But you know what I'm saying, though. It's because I don't shoot hens. <laughs> you can't you can't pigeonhole that in. But generally speaking, if someone truthfully makes a mistake, it's a written warning or it's a minor violation that's cited. You know, it's a um, it's a violation that has very little. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in most of our stuff is about criminal stuff anyway. But what's like, what's really interesting to top that off is most of these people expect a citation. They don't necessarily think they deserve. A the guilt is so deep. Yeah. They say, no, I want you to write me a ticket. Oh, I need to be wow. held. I need to be held. I swear. I, it has happened. And so when I hear this about, you know, hunters are all bad, hunting behavior, and there's so many good ones, I don't know. I, I Yeah, it's just that the bad ones have an outsized effect. Well, they do. And, and it's really that way in anything. Yeah, right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. The bad apple or yeah. whatever. But people are so passionate about it. I mean, well, you are, obviously, you're doing this. I don't think golfers are as passionate. They're passionate people, but they're they're passionate on the golf course when they're done golfing. Mm-hmm. We, you and I, we think about these things all day. Right. You know, it's so. it's yeah. It's kind of embarrassing how, <laughs> how preoccupied my mental life is with but hunting. For that reason, is the reason is we have such good hunting. That's yeah. The reason we have good hunting is people care. people care sure. people care enough to stand up yeah. and rise up and yep. So with egregious. Mm-hmm. Violations. Um, what was I going to ask you about that? There was something I was going to like when it's uh, when it's oh, do you think? Here's the question with you know who Rod Paschke is? Mm-hmm. So, so he thinks that game violations should be 
it should be they should be much more draconian than they are mm-hmm. and so what do you think in terms of not just the honest mistake but when it is yeah um, do you think that the fines actually, are severe enough I, I, I do I honestly do I mean if you look at what our fines and restitution are they're pretty harsh if you take that in a snapshot of surrounding states and that we've you know, we've worked on poacher packages through the legislature. The legislature, I think, has done a good job of setting these 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 bonds and these fines and you know, consequences. But once it gets to the court system, it's out of our hands. Oh, I see. We have we have the term shall and may in a lot of our stuff, which sometimes those lines get blurred with plea agreements and other things like that. Mm-hmm. But it's so difficult in the court system even for us because if you look at what they're dealt with, you know, a small county where they have a serious crime issue, you know, it's a human thing and a wildlife thing, right? So we try our best through our relationships to make for sure that we let them know who the bad people are and they need to really be held accountable. And we're pretty successful being able to make the case that this person needs to be held accountable. On the flip side of that, we're also really good at going in and going, hey, you know, this this is an honest mistake. Mm-hmm. Our, in, in our words, we'll, you know, generally a judge will call a game board and go, you know, once it's sentencing or the county attorney will go, we're looking at doing this. What do you think? In other oh, words, that's cool. And it is, it's really nice. And really that's all law enforcement agencies in Montana. It's, it's, it's a, if you're in New York city as a beat cop, you're not talking to your attorney. You're not talking to the judge. You're, you're going to write a ticket and you're just going to move on to the next thing. Yeah. Here we have an open line of communication with our prosecutors and our judges, which is, and even defense attorneys many times. And it's really nice because you can lay out the priorities of it. Right. It's like, where's this fit? Yeah, and, and, yeah. and who knows more about the motivations right. of the of the perpetrator right. than you, yeah. the one that investigated yeah. and wrote the ticket. Yeah, and if a, if a game warden, if their gut's telling them, <coughs> excuse me, if their gut's telling them that this is just truly an honest mistake, we'll let the judge or the county attorney know that. We'll say, you know, he probably needs to be... Well, it sounds like they'll call you up and ask they you. Do, they do, they do, yeah. And they'll... And, and some judges solicit it. Some county attorneys do. Some don't. Some just say, nope, this is the minimum fine. And that's fine, too. Uh-huh. But, you know, those fines. Um, so as, as an example, you mentioned sheep. $30,000 uh, restitution. Loss of privileges for five years. Mandatory. Sometimes it's not mandatory because of plea and, the, you know, the legal system. So those fines, I believe, are. You know, that seems about right to I, me. They are. Yeah. I, I think they're in the right. What spot. if I shot? What if I? What if I shot a buck and then a few minutes later, a big buck came through and I shot him mm-hmm. too. And I'm driving home and you got me yeah. there. What something like that? So as an example, just not when it's not so damn pr- yeah, like precious yeah. like a sheep. What would that? So just, if you look at the what black, would that cost? If you me? look at the black and white of that, that's an over limit or unlawful possession of it. If it's a trophy animal, if you, a mule deer, let's say, it's two thousand dollars restitution. Okay. And an enhancement if you shot it at night of five years privilege loss. And generally a thousand dollar fine. Five hundred. Wait, what if I shot during the day? Five. It'd be a five hundred thirty-five dollar fine with restitution of eight thousand dollars if it's a trophy. Okay. And, and, and privileges uh, five years or trophies five years. Yeah. So oh, what if it was not a trophy? Two years. Okay. Years. So if you shot. You know, you shot non-trophy, two, an over-limiter, shot two bucks in a day. You're looking at, um, you, you, they're both unlawfully possessed because you can't have them because the first one's illegal, two ones to shoot the second 
Right. How do you decide which one? So, well, yeah. that, <laughs> it's usually the bigger one. Is the second okay. one. But anyway, right. of course, that's a violation of deal right there. So that would cost me about 500 bucks, and I wouldn't be able to hunt for a couple of years. $535, yeah, plus $1,000 restitution, and you lose your privileges for two years. Oh, wait. So it would be 1500 bucks in two years. Well, with restitution, it would. Yeah. Wait, what's this? Explain this restitution. Oh, sorry. I, 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 yeah. So $1,000. Restitution is the amount that the state has said that deer is worth to the state of Montana. Okay. okay. And that restitution, there's different. A fine is what you pay to the court. Restitution is what you pay to the department. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 1500 bucks in two years. Yep. See, that seems about right to me. No, I... I yeah, I, I think so. And because let's let's be honest, if, if it's a repeat offender, Th- that should then, go. That no, shit should go up big but time. But that's that's where the conversation. If the judge is like, "Hey, this is the second time I've seen this guy," he's going to call the Kmart and go, "What's going on?" It right? should be five times as much. And then, then. And then that's when we tell the to you know that's when we have that conversation with the judge and say, "Well, we you know we don't make a recommendation. We just tell him the facts, you know." But this is at a sentencing. We can't. We don't talk to judges until he's going to make a determination of what. Person's pled guilty. He said, "I'll take what I got coming." That's when they call us. Okay. Because we can't. We can't do that. We're, we don't. We're not attorneys. We don't do any of that. Yeah. So those conversations with the county attorney when they're when they're making plea agreements, you know, they're doing that. If someone just comes in and pays their fine and restitution, and or excuse me, pays their fines, pleads guilty, and let's say they mail their fine in, the judge then gives them a sentence, and usually that sent, sentence is what the state recommends because the person has said, "I'm willing to take." You know, I screwed up. I'm willing to take what I got coming, and that's generally what they do. Mm-hmm. So back to the nuts and bolts of it, we have good fines and restitution, mm-hmm. is what I believe. Yeah. I mean, if you look at $30,000, that's pretty good whack. I mean, oh, shoot, hell, shoot. man. My first house, that's like half of what my first house costs. Sure. And, and to be honest, the the uh, in most cases, for the like for certainly for the one percenters, losing privileges is, that's... Oh right, because they sure. yeah, they're, 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 they're 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 hunting outside of their privileges anyway. I don't think they're worried <laughs> yeah. on the fifth elk of the year whether they have a license or not. You know what I mean? So this one percenter yeah. thing is yeah. is uh, something that needs to be explored. Like yeah. people, there needs to be a article written about them or something. Well, it's that, it's no it's it's a uh, it's criminology. It's, it's yeah, like. Uh, with serial killers, I remember watching a program that was talking about the profile, like, mm-hmm. and it's weird stuff. Like mm-hmm. they tend to have had some kind of head trauma, real right. specific stuff, right. head trauma in their <laughs> adolescence, yeah. you know, single family. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what some of the other ones, but were, were they're, they're like traits mm-hmm. or things that have happened to them. Where you go, huh? Yeah. Really that? Well, don't yeah. pull me down to the exact verbiage, but, in talking to the investigators, they they can pretty much narrow it down based on that profile. Like this person does this, mm. and then he'll do this, and then he's for sure going to do this, and it gives us clues. Okay. And we've been able to use those to catch these guys because we we know what the next tendency is. It's not it's not a straight line, but the criminal profile it's a profile. The FBI uses it to catch people. Mm-hmm. You know, game wardens are now using it to catch people. So it's it's legit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What about groups that I I heard about this group over by 
foresight of guys that maybe this was 15, 20 years ago mm-hmm. that they did a, a legal outfitting and mm-hmm. poached a shit pile of animals yep. that way. Yep. That was probably one of the first, I believe that was one of the first very, what we would call large scale. Oh, so you know about that case. Oh, yes, yes. Let me tell you one thing about that mm-hmm. that you may know, but if you do, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe somebody that's my mom or sister or one of the five other people that are going to listen to this might find it interesting. Um, there are our mutual friend and your mutual colleague, your colleague, Miles, mm-hmm. four or five years ago, he was, he's chatting with somebody at over at Rosebud fishing access site. And this guy's telling him how, one time, his friend was out fishing, ice fishing on the Yellowstone. Does this ring a bell? No. Uh-uh. And he doesn't come home. Okay. And, you know, ice fishing on the on the Yellowstone, that's a, Never seen dicey, a dicey proposition. <laughs> right. So the next day, he's like, I think he was out ice fishing. Hmm. And he goes and to this little side channel where the guy used to ice fish Mm -hmm. and there he is in the water with his elbows on the ice and the his boots sitting next to him and he's dead oh i i I know of that i know of that incident but i don't don't know the particular okay so that guy that died was one of the and the guy that was talking to our friend Miles were right. both part of that poaching yes, racket. Yes, yes, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, was, I forgot about that. That's in, yeah, it just jars up a few memories right now that you brought that up. Yeah, I do remember that. I might even have been there here during that. I can't remember, but yeah, definitely that was one, that was one of the people I was following. So is that is that pretty common for that kind of thing to happen? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say common. Matter of fact, it's. Like poaching rings that like yeah though those are you'd have to be a pretty for you'd have to be a kind of a freaking just not observant dim-witted person to hire somebody like that wouldn't the I, bells start to go off a little bit there at again, some point wait I don't have to have a tag yeah there, you, know, <laughs> you know what it comes down to though you're right there it comes down to is it's it's easy it's easy so take the easy route right and it's that's what that comes down to. It's an opportunistic person that sees the opportunity to hunt, not really thinking about the consequences. Like they have a conduit to do an illegal activity. In this case, it was an outfitter, um, an illegal outfitter. Not a- do you think they know that the cl- that the yes, clients yes. know? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's you know we've had cases where it, it, it's not even an outfitting thing, but their friends that they're hunting with, or they get caught up in the poaching. They're, you know, they end up being a witness because they were with the guy the day before, and they're like, oh, he wouldn't do that. You know, it's like, uh, yeah. What do you mean? I'm sorry. So let's say you have a group of hunters. Okay. They're, they're, they've been friends forever. Right? Okay. And they go to a hunting camp. And we get a call. We get so many videos that are witnesses. We got to get witness. We roll into camp. We interview everybody. Because we got to get down to the bottom. Of Wait, you, what? I'm sorry. I'm still so not. Back it up. So let's say I get a call, right? And we you get, get a call, call for there's what? There's an illegal deer. There's okay. A, there's a tip moth as an example. Okay. Where somebody calls an anonymous and says, hey, there's a camp of hunters at this campground. There's five guys. They're all they're together in the camp. We watched two of those guys shoot deer and walk away from them. Let's say it's that case. And then later that day, we watched like why would they do that? Because they're not big enough or exactly, something. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. 
like they either walked up to him. And there's plenty of examples I can give, but this is just a kind of a simple one, right? Where it's it, we have a really good witness that's willing to testify, and they say this happened, and you roll into camp. Oh right? man, when so I'm they, really when I'm so, really upset with somebody with what. So here, I often say that I want to sodomize them with a fire extinguisher. <laughs> that that yeah, that's intense. <laughs> but that's what that, is, is, I can you could you imagine as a responsible human being yeah. doing something? Like I can imagine it. Oh, it's I've just so it. horrible. Yeah, I've it's, seen it. So you roll into camp as a game warden, right? And you you interview everybody in camp. And it's usually by that time, if we think there's five guys, we call for backup. We we help each other out. Okay. We need to interview everybody. And you know you got them because somebody should. We know, right? So yeah. We have an advantage. But you'll go in there and you'll talk to everybody and you walk out and, you, and we can. What are you them. saying? You're saying, I, we just heard a report that somebody shot a deer and let them You there. know what we're doing? We don't even do that. We say, tell, yeah, hey, you know, what, basically what a game warden needs to do is establish the facts. You have to establish the facts. Tell us about your hunt today. It's as simple as that. Okay. And, and they're telling us, and we know they're being. They're just saying, I but, didn't see anything, or yeah. I, I didn't shoot anything. Sure, or. sure. And, and it's a common thing. All law enforcement does that. You have to ask the, the basic question. Okay. And, and, and we're not lying to anybody. We say, hey, there's a violation here. We just need to get to the bottom of this. There's a couple of legal deer I'd like you to visit with. And we just visit with them. Well, there's times where a couple of folks in the group, and this happens where they don't truly don't know. And, you, and you're kind of like going, your BS meter goes like way high. Because like, there's no way you don't know. I mean, you've been drinking You've been drinking, having fun in the wall pit, and there's times that it truly doesn't happen that way. So what I'm saying, like, like they question. really don't. So back to your question, you, man. I like to hang out with people where I really understand the person. Yes, you know. Yes, but I can't. I, I feel sorry for people that don't have, don't understand yeah. who they're with enough. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that, interesting. Well, if you look at there's no yeah that like I can say yeah. about. I, I would never find my maybe when I was young, but I would never find myself on a hunt with somebody that right. would do something or, like that. Or not now know as an adult. Uh, or not know about it. But there are times where you said, you know, there's no way they don't know. There are times, although No, I'm just saying but, there's no way that I would end up hunting with somebody that was capable of doing that. No, no, no. You're, yeah, you, you, I, I can't remember what you said, but you, you, you mentioned like, how would you not know if you hired an illegal outfitter? I see. There, there, right. There, there definitely are ways that people, people no, right. That person that's that is an illegal outfitter is that good at selling their product. They're really good at it going, oh no, don't worry about it. This is I've got a sponsor. Yeah. <laughs> I got sponsored tape. I got outfitter sponsored tape. They could even print out something and sure. you could sign it, sure. give it some veneer yeah. of yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean if you're if you're somebody from I'll say Florida that hey, I want to come hunt in Montana. And someone's illegally outfitting, they're illegally advertising. It looks like a professional. Website. Oh, yeah. You know, no, you're right. Sure. You're I mean, right. You, you, you're you right. Yeah. But you know what happens generally is that we, we end up ferreting that out. And then it's like, it, it actually makes our case better on, on that person that's in the violent. Oh, okay. Because they're taking steps. Okay. Right? So, you, you all right. You figure out what their advertising um, uh, plan is. Yeah. And, okay. Yeah. Approach. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there again, like I said, it's. Those cases are, you know, those big, large-scale cases. They're so time-consuming, and they really, they're, it's, it's an interesting look at behavior and how easy sometimes it is to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, it kind of makes you like, God, am I doing my job, or, you know, what am I missing? And, mm-hmm. But then you get into 
that's in both of them. Like this is just so well. I mean, they just were really good at what they were doing. Mm-hmm. They were happy to catch them, but it's not good when you got a barn with fifty animals on there. You know, that's the result of it. Yeah, you know, it, it's like. Ugh. So do you? Okay, I guess you could maybe break it down this way. Maybe I'm missing something, but you could say there's two kinds of enforcement. One is where you just get a call or you come upon something and you very quickly ascertain that something Mm -hmm. illegal happened. You write a citation. Yeah. Yeah. Or then there's one, then there's cases that are more involved and require Mm -hmm. some kind of Mm -hmm. lengthy investigation. Are there several, how many cases a year are in a ladder camp where it's like, yeah, yeah. More involved. You know, it depends on the part of the state because. Oh, I guess let's say Eastern Montana. Yeah. For us in Eastern Montana, we probably have three to five, what we would call large scale or long-term investigations that take a lot of work. On a year, every year. Yeah, on a yearly basis. And that fluctuates, you know, but you know, most of those cases, um, we, we have the assistance of our criminal investigators. They're the ones that are really good at, you know, records and, are these FWP employees? Yeah, they're game wardens. They're game wardens that have worked. Oh. They, most of them have worked in the field, got that experience, and they essentially have been promoted to be an investigator because of their skills. Okay. They're just they're very good. Do we have any on sta- one of those or we on do. staff here? Yes. Any? Okay. yes, we do. We have a criminal investigator in the region, fantastic investigator, long-term game warden, and he's just very good at it. So we use his skills to allow him to concentrate on those. It's commercial. Generally speaking, it's money, you know, big scale, large people are making money off illegal animals, um, whether it's outfitting or selling animals to the, uh, to the antler buyer. I mean, there's all kinds okay. of, that's what we're looking for. We, as field wardens, we are so busy in the fall taking the day to days, you know, the trespasses, the shoot from the roads, the, the guy that put a wrong tag on an animal. We, we have to respond to calls during hunting. Right. So basically, you're going for call to call to call to call. Those long-term investigations. Really? Really so like intense. during rifle season, you're just going oh, yeah. bing, bing, bing. Yeah, yeah. It depends on the year, but in Region Seven, where we have so many hunters and so many, we, we're very wildlife rich here, and we have lots of tags and lots of private land. It's very busy. I mean, it's there's years that um, game wardens, gosh, they'll work numerous eighteen-hour days, just oh. constant. It was so. Can I tell you a story? Of course. Okay. That's what this is all about. So, this is, so I went to uh, a funeral today of a local game warden who was here for 31 years. He was 94 years old. Oh, shit. Jim, Jim Logan passed away. And Jim was a legend. He was one of those guys that it didn't matter where. Any game warden that's been in Miles City, it, if you went to a rancher that was over 60 years old, it didn't matter where you were at, Jordan or Alzada, they would go, you know old Jim Logan? I mean, he Oh, just, and these are, t- these are towns that are... Three-hour drive oh, apart. At least, yeah, at least huge geographical areas. But Jim, what made him so remarkable? He was just so good at knowing the country, knowing the trails, know where the bad guys hunted. He and he knew every landowner. He had that relationship, and it was so awesome to see that and hear and hear those stories today. He's like was, the Wyatt Earp of game wardens. He was in, in 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 his day and age. They there was no overtime. There wasn't, and it was hard. Those old game wardens, they did not have good family lives. 
Luckily, we have rules. Oh. <laughs> now, how many hours okay. do you work? Okay. But the state let those guys work and work and, and expect. And them. so there's, there's, a, it's just a, a part of the, the, the personality of somebody that goes into that that they, they, they get fixated on it and they're well, willing they to work. Well, they get fixated on doing a good job and being the guy people want. Uh huh. And we still do that as game wardens. We want in our districts. You know, we we. If I'm called upon, I will drive to Kalispell tomorrow to help a game board. Okay. That's that's the mentality we have. Man, I have so much love for people like that. that I do too. And it, it's so... That, that, that there's not even any payback, but it's just they have... I just no. love people that have a sense right. of responsibility. Yes. You know? Yes. And it's, it's a passion to do what's right. And, we, and we're doing it for... I, I would say the main reason most of it do most of us do it is because we love wildlife. And okay. We love hunting. That's what but keeps you that also, that's what keeps you going keeps above you going. and beyond. Yeah, it keeps you going. You know, we're not rich. And we don't expect to be rich. But and we know we're not going to be rich. So right. The, but the, you, the other thing is is you're doing it because you want to be the guy that the sportsman or the landowner or the outfit or whoever that person is that needs a call that you could you're trusted you're gonna at least make a call and make show up. Mm-hmm. But if you think about that, there's ten of us in region seven. In the 50s, 60s, and 70s, when Jim worked, there was three. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, it's insane. Listening to the stories of how he... And I've always known this because I like to, to know what the people did before me did, right? And uh-huh. it was, it's just amazing how hard they worked. I mean, Jim would... I'm positive, you know, him and his partner, if they would work, they would probably work eight to ten days in a row and sleep in their truck the whole time. Wow. They just never came home. Because they, wow. they just went from call to call to call. And I bet he saw some crazy oh, shit, man. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so one of the stories that's why Gene I said, started this podcast just a little too late. I would really <laughs> like to interview. Well, yeah, no. This is quickly his wife, Jeannie. I talked to her today. And she and we were talking about some some old retired some retired ones that called me and said, please pass on our condolences. They knew Jim. These guys are all in their eighties. World War II vets that worked with Jim. They were such a tight knit group. We're still that way, and they knew Jim passed away. Um, and they're calling me because I'm the conduit now because I'm with the department. But Gene goes, yeah. One thing Jim was always really good at was knowing which ranches had the best food on what days. <laughs> <laughs> so you know what I mean. But if you think about the relationships that you build that way and how effective he was at his job, just because he he the bad guys knew Jim Logan was going to be over the hill because he was everywhere. Oh, <laughs> you know? so do we it's have any deterrent factor? So do we have any young talent on the we force do. now? We got, that... we got great wardens. I am so blessed. We've got really, some, oh, we have got some really good game wardens. They they're hard workers. Um, not too litigious. Not no, no. not not litigious enough. No, yeah. they've got a good eye on the ball. Like they know what's important, and we instill that in in them. You know, as, as sergeants and captains, we set the tone but they're doing it themselves i mean they know what's important they know what's not they are just i'm really lucky okay so, yeah yeah because you're their supervisor yeah I mean, they, when you have good wardens working for you my job's way easier okay yeah <laughs> so. they're probably paying you too much <laughs> <laughs> just ask depends on who you ask right um i have several other agenda items that I wanted to talk to you about, but I'm just going to try to get you to come on again because I'm pretty burned out. We've been at it two hours. I'll be happy to come on. Okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Sounds good.